Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 214, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This week, is there a way to give teachers a more flexible work schedule? Maybe. Just hear us out. the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, our guest will give us some much-needed stress relief techniques and tips for educators. When our first year of teaching, particularly, where we get into their car at the end of the day and we cry, and that's kind of normalized. That's a thing that just is supposed to happen to us and it's supposed to get better. But there's a lot of systemic issues that are making it difficult for some folks to either get over that and have to do that by themselves. Um, And I'm not sure why we're normalizing that. Hello, everybody. Nick Gordigo here. I'm joined by friend, director of curriculum and instruction and co-host Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing? I am fantastic. We've been through a lot already in 2022, but um, we're looking up. We're looking up. Yeah. Hey, anyone who follows you on social media probably knows that you've been rocking that Peloton lately. How's it going? It is going great. I cannot believe I fell in love with it. Yeah, that's good. That's awesome. That was like your, was it a Christmas gift, I guess? And then you've been riding it through January? Absolutely. And I really get in about um, five workout days out of seven. And I don't dread it. I look forward to it. And um, I'm glad that I finally found something that works for me. That's not starvation. That's not, you know, taking away things you love. Right. But it's good for my heart. And I just thinking about longevity for the future. I want to touch on a topic that I've been thinking a lot about lately. And it, and it had to do with the fact that I I was looking at job listings out there. Not that I'm looking for a job, but I was just kind of like kind of keeping up mm-hmm. with things and how things have changed mm-hmm. since the pandemic. And one of the things I've seen out there is a lot of jobs now, if you have a desk job, is like work remote. Like companies have just accepted it. So we, if you we're located in New York City and you live in Mississippi, we might hire you and you can work remotely. And the yes. other thing you see a lot of... Um, is called, they call it unlimited PTO, unlimited paid time off. Um, both <laughs> just kind of perks to, to attract you to their company because they need employees. Um, now, I think the way unlimited PTO probably really works is if you like walk in, you're like, I want to be off for a month, like you're going to be frowned upon and probably fired, you know, but, but the idea right. is that we don't have strict rules to it. And if you need to take time off, you can. Um, but the, the problem is those type of things doesn't work in the field of education, right? Like you can't just, I was just about to say we could never have that. Right. And so here we are and, you know, we need to find ways to attract and retain teachers, not just from school to school, but coming through college and into the world of education and up against a lot. Now, now there's competition, like these jobs I was just referring to that things are getting where you have a little bit more flexibility. 
And, you know, there's really two ways, I think, um, that we could attract teachers. And, and there was an article in EdSurge about this to kind of back me up on it. But one is you could pay more. And, and you're seeing some of that at, at state levels, you know, state legislators. But that's that's going to get capped. I mean, let's just be honest. At some point, you're right. they're not going to continue to just increase pay for teachers, at least not in the short term, to like ridiculous amounts where everyone's like, I want to be a teacher. And that's just the, the We reality. just need the first one to be approved. Right. Exactly. And now, so... The other thing that is kind of being tossed around as an idea in this particular Ed Surge article that I, I found is the idea of finding ways to give teachers more flexibility. And I think teachers probably, correct me if I'm wrong, but probably got a little taste of this when they were working remotely in the early days of the pandemic. And and what I mean by that is, you know, you were you were working hard from home, but you at least had the time maybe to like step away and make a doctor's appointment or, you know, go wash a load of laundry or, or whatever. And, and I feel like for a lot of teachers, they got that taste and they're like, if I could only have a little bit more flexibility in my life, it would be a little bit easier to be a teacher. Am, Am I wrong here with any of this? No, I don't, I don't think you're wrong at all. Um, and it's, it's quite interesting that it's not at all an option. Um, for us. And even right now with, um, you know, the COVID leave not even being approved anymore. So I think that it makes, um, those job opportunities very attractive. Okay. So this article in Head Surge is like, all right, well, what if there was a way to give teachers flexibility? And, and what would that look like? And, and he prefaces all this with saying, uh, you know, none of these are great ideas, but at least it, it can get the conversation started. And so, one idea would be like, how could we get it to where teachers only taught four days out of a five-day school week? So I'm not saying only go to school four days, but teachers were only having to work four of the five days. And and this is how this author proposes we do that. Are you skeptical? I think it would completely revolutionize education. Let me hear about it. Okay. So they say one relatively easy option would be for elementary classes to have their normal classes four days a week rather than a special class every day. They might devote one day every week for two three-hour workshops in art, music, STEM, or phys ed. So in other words, four days a week, like the the core learning is taking place. But on day five, it's all like, I, I guess they're referring to them as special class teachers, the music and, and the PE and all that mm-hmm. happens in one of those days. So do you see where I'm kind of going with this? So I do. But I really wonder where we're losing minutes. So generally, just as an example, students receive at least the minimum in elementary schools, 90 minutes of instruction for reading mm-hmm. five days a week. Some schools, it's even 100 or 120 minutes. If we move to a four-day week and only one day is spent on specials, um, we're significantly reducing the amount of instruction provided but in those core areas. When you're doing the specials during the week, doesn't that make up for the time if you pack it with instructional? Um, it can. I guess I, I'm one of those people. I think I need to see, see it, it laid paper. out. Yeah. yeah. Usually specials are about 30 minutes, right? Um, maybe 40 each day. And you go to a different special each day so that you, you know, you have a variety of activities for the children. Mm-hmm. So I think I just would have to see it on paper. But in the long run, there are quite a few studies um, out about the four day week. Um, the opportunity that you can get is, you know, you, you give children a little bit more time to have brain breaks. Maybe they have some virtual activities on that other day, but you also have an opportunity to give teachers, um, time to reset 
and even plan and collaborate better. Right. And I think really that's what like we need to think long and hard about how are we going to continue to make teaching a, a job that people want. And and until we find a way to like give teachers a little time off to to go run to the dry cleaners or the doctor's office or, you know, tend to something that's dealing with their own child during regular mm-hmm. business hours, it's going to be hard. So the, the author goes on, he says, in secondary schools, um, you could have each class meet four days per week on a rotation where every class meets five times per month which would leave each teacher free for an out-of-school day each week. Schools on block schedules could adjust their rotations so that each teacher had two consecutive blocks of planning to use, and they could use it wherever they wanted or wherever the teacher prefers. So basically, change the secondary layout to where at least the teacher would get two like back-to-back blocks of planning, like they could run off campus if they had to, I guess, in that time is what they're suggesting. It's an opportunity, some time that teachers could use, but um, I'm looking for you to lay out the planning and collaboration time. Yeah, I don't, it, they don't dive into that too much, but it, let me throw out another idea. He said, we could get more creative with school employees too. If a fourth teacher floated among three classes at any K through 12 level, that teacher could take over each class one day a week and spend some time with every class on one other day. That would leave each of the four teachers with a flex day once a week. In this scenario, to keep the same number of teachers on a school's budget, we'd have to increase class size by about 25%. Yes, increasing class size stinks, and so does not retaining or hiring qualified teachers. So, so I'm completely against increasing class size. Yeah. Um, I would not sacrifice that for a four-day week. But what if we're looking at, and I mean, I'm being pessimistic, but what if we're looking uh, two years down the road, three years down the road of like, you guys just don't have enough teachers unless we change something. And we know money's not That's not going to be the solution. Like, I guess really, if anything, I hope this conversation starts. I do think it's yeah. an innovative idea to a very problematic um, situation. Um, but just initially, it would really crush me to increase the class size. And let me tell you why. Um First of all, personalized instruction would be compromised. Um, the more students you add, the more difficult it is to truly give each child what they need and to fill in the gaps that they arrive with. Um, secondly, that is a lot more pressure um, and difficulty for classroom teachers, especially novice teachers who are still growing and building in their classroom management skill set. Um, and then lastly, I don't think that students would get the attention and not necessarily just academic attention, but the bonding and the relationships that are so important between a teacher and their students, I think that would also be compromised. The The whole premise of this author's um, kind of setup here is rather than having, quote, the great resignation, they're calling it the great renegotiation. We need to like somehow figure out a way to renegotiate how we treat our employees and none of these answers may be great they may not be great solutions but i think there seriously doesn't need to be some sort of committee or brainstorming from some think tank of like what can we do to make a school more efficient just to give teachers a little flex time because like i said other jobs are going to be doing this you're gonna see you know companies go to four-day work weeks and you're going to see this unlimited PTO and and work from your desk at your home office. like, And so how do, how do you get people into a classroom when there's just better options out there? 
it you just got to be creative yeah. and you have to look at your area what your your community needs are i think every body is experiencing some of the same um feelings about the teacher shortage but i also think that your industry your local economy all of those things play into your decision making when it comes to planning for schools um another uh article that caught my eye in the past week was uh, originally titled The Power of Student Assistance. It was by Mike uh, Matthew Kay. Uh, and he was talking about how his principal came back from a conference with the idea of seniors giving up a free period to help out in other ninth grade classes. Now, when I was a senior, I remember we had like teacher assistants and I was one. Um, my duties, I think, was like, go get the teacher coffee and stuff like that. But I think this idea that Matthew and his principal are kind of practicing in their Philadelphia schools is to actually use those seniors as more tutors and mentors in the yes. classroom for the younger students, for the freshmen and the sophomore classes. And he's he's kind of running a little trial of it on his own. And he's been really pleased with the results. He's, he says that these students who are, you know, volunteering are kind of becoming interested in education, which might help down the road and might make them want to be educators. But also it's just like the effect that a senior can have on a freshman or a sophomore in terms of learning is is pretty impactful. Have, have you ever really heard of anybody using the students as, in this way? I have. It's not a new idea, but if you organize it in a way where every senior has an opportunity to do service hours with freshmen, I, I just can't even begin to tell you um, the positive impact you can make on your school culture and climate and the success of, you know, a future senior class. But let's take it a step even further. Having your juniors and seniors involved in this process and possibly um, mentoring, reading to students and supporting students all the way down to the elementary level is an even grander idea. So I love that they're starting with the freshman class. You know, that's a cohort of students that you're going to track for the next four years. And they will turn around and give that same support to a freshman class. I think it's very clever. Yeah. I mean, if your campus allows for that student to quickly jump over to, say, a nearby elementary school, um, yeah, that would be great Like to see those those upperclassmen actually in the elementary classroom and helping out younger kids. Because, because again, it's just like it's someone that these kids look up to. And, you Correct. know, if, if things kind of get stale with a teacher sometimes and that student may come mm -hmm. in and kind of light that fire a little bit. Um, so. It just really strengthens the community. And what you would have to do is 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 devise a well-developed um, service learning project to orchestrate getting students to and from those different locations to support um, other students in the in, within the district. But it can be done. Kind of keeping with our theme of looking out for teachers uh, this week, uh, our guest in our Bright Idea segment is here to talk about mindfulness tips with teachers. Are you ready for that? I'm ready. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is a former pre-K and kindergarten teacher who is now a burnout coach. As a teacher, Gabby Lupin experienced burnout firsthand. Consequently, that burnout led to her creating stress relief techniques, which she now shares with educators around the country. Gabby is the founder of Spark by Gabby, a teacher's-only mindful fitness platform. Gabby, welcome to Class Dismissed. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat more about this really important topic. Yes, me too. And, and typically, whenever I do an episode that tries to find a solution to a problem, I usually like to start by illustrating the problem. And in this case, our problem is basically teacher burnout. And however, most yeah. of our listeners are actually educators. So they probably have a pretty good understanding of what burnout looks like because they probably have experienced at least in some form themselves. Mm -hmm. So instead, I'd like to start by getting a little personal with you and on this topic. And if you don't mind, 
uh, share with us whether or not you ever actually experienced burnout in the classroom. Absolutely. I absolutely did. Yeah. So I um, I taught in D.C. schools for some time. Um, like you said, I was in kindergarten. I was in pre-K. Um, and then I actually ran the intervention program for three years. So a little bit of an entrepreneurial pursuit, which helped build me for my success later. But um, I think it, it was tough for me to continue to switch grade levels because I didn't get that opportunity to kind of build that repertoire under my belt, which I'm sure some educators can attest. Um, that five-year number after you taught for five years and one grade level is really the magic time where things start to become a, a lot easier. Um, but, you know, in reality, I was in a, a really passionate space um, within education, a really wonderful group of teachers but what that also meant was that there was teachers who stayed really late, teachers who um, support each other and doing all that we could for kids. But there wasn't a lot of life outside of school for me. Um, and I think a lot of educators can relate to this. It felt like a me problem most of the time. Um, I'm sorry, you said it felt like a me problem, like you it was something wrong with you? Yeah, okay. it did. It felt like something that I was alone experiencing because I saw my peers. I mean, it's it's different, obviously, now within COVID times, and I'm, I'm not going to pretend to know because um, I have not taught within COVID times. I left just before then. Um, but, you know, it seemed like my, my fellow peers were doing pretty well. Um, and me, on the other hand... I felt like I was drowning. I didn't know how to take care of myself. I didn't have the right resources. They weren't given to me. And so when I left, it was actually a huge relief to realize that I was one of 44% of educators that left. You say that one ordinary day in your classroom, you broke down crying and couldn't pull yourself back together. I mean, like, yeah. it, it, tell me about that moment. Uh, yeah. So it was in my fifth year of teaching, I would say November. Um, which is a tough month for educators, as mm -hmm. we know. Um, and it wasn't necessarily a more difficult day than others, but it was after I had brought some kids back to their classroom. I had a moment since I was um, more of a resource teacher in my own room. And it was the moment that I realized that even though I was so passionate to be there for the kids that I wasn't giving enough to myself. And so I took, I don't know, 10 minutes. And then those 10 minutes realized that there needed to be a different path for me. And I think a lot of teachers can relate to that. And that happens oftentimes, you know, in our first year of teaching, particularly where we get into their car at the end of the day and we cry and that's kind of normalized. That's a thing that just is supposed to happen to us and it's supposed to get better. But there's a lot of systemic issues that are making it difficult for some folks to either get over that and have to do that by themselves. Um, and I'm not sure why we're normalizing that. You know, it's it's a difficult profession and it doesn't have to be as difficult as we've actually made it. Anyone who's left a career probably knows what I'm about to describe here. It's like yeah. you're in the moment and you're trying to figure out like how you got here. Did I pick the yeah. wrong career or, yeah. you know, and, and you have all these different thoughts running through your head. But yeah. the I think the only way you can really, you know, learn what went wrong is to be, I don't know, 
a year out from after leaving that career and then having that 12 months to really reflect on it. I say all that to say, as you got away from teaching and you reflect back on it, is there anything you would have done differently? I mean, do you think you could have taken a different path, which would have helped you stay in education? Yeah. I mean that I, as soon as I came out of teaching and as soon as I realized that I, it wasn't a a me problem, it was a systemic issue. That's what gave me that hunger to go back and to learn why, to learn what was going on. So um, that pushed me into my graduate degree at the Harvard graduate school of education um, and helped me build what I have now. um, This platform that is meant for educators to find community with themselves, not just in their school, not just in their group of friends within their school, but within a national network of teachers that are working towards the same goal of fighting through this system. And then, you know, that's kind of what it looks like on an individual level. But um, more broadly, it's it's been really exciting to actually partner with schools and soon um, full networks as well as districts so that we can start solving that on a systemic level. Because at the end of the day, even if you are have these wonderful practices as an educator, there's so much that's working against us. And COVID has only uncovered and exacerbated a lot of those things um, that are working against. Uh, again, it, your, your company Sparked by Gabby. It's sparkbygabby.com. Yep. If you go to the website, on the surface, it looks like you know, fitness and, and mindfulness. I mean, let's mm-hmm. dive into that a little bit, though. I mean, yeah. how how do you separate yourself from, you know, any fitness app on Apple or Fitness Plus on Apple, for example? Yeah, absolutely. There's a ton of competition out there, and we don't pretend to be like them because we have something that's super unique. And one of those things is that we're pairing mindfulness and fitness together. So those two most effective stress levers, that's what research has told us, the most effective way to relieve that um, tension in your body or in your mind is to exercise and then couple that with mindfulness. Um, And right now you have to go to multiple different sources to get that. Um, Some folks might have Peloton. Um, Some folks or all educators actually get access to Headspace for free, Um, but you have to do that separately. And that takes more time, it takes more energy, and also takes more of a proactive um, method to get yourself there, which sometimes we don't have as educators. I think that's the number one complaint that I hear from teachers. We just don't have enough time. So we're helping cut down on that time and um, the the, the space that it takes to, to get that stuff set up on, on your phone or on your computer or with your peers. Um, and so that's one way that we're different. And then the other way that we're different is that you don't have to go about it alone. You're with your peers. You're taking classes from other educators who are in your exact same shoes, teachers that might be in Massachusetts or Philly or DC, Chicago. Um, And they're helping kind of support you and figure out how to apply this work to your daily life. So it's not just about taking a a class, um, a Pilates class or a yoga class to strengthen your body or to stretch your body. It's actually saying, hey, how can I apply 
this principle that I felt in these 20, 45 minutes to my day later. As a, an educator, let's just say they log into the website, they, they sign yep. up or, or they're on a trial and they're trying out the, this whole thing. How does it target them as educators? I mean, is there like a discussion about life in the classroom? And, and as you're kind yeah. of going through the workout, does that happen? And, and do you see other educators or is there like a forum? How does that all take place? There's definitely a, a community aspect. So to answer the latter question first, um, we have an opportunity in our app to just talk with each other, to bond with each other, to say, hey, how are you applying this? What are you thinking about here? And so there's that opportunity, um, which is really organic with our, our users. Um, but then on top of that, you know, we've we've gone back and forth on this question of how much education should be in a class experience. And at the end of the day, Teachers don't need to be preached at for 45 minutes how tough their job is. I don't need to hear that when I take a spin class. I want to be in my body. I want to be thinking about what's best for me in that moment, not what I need to do for kids later. So it's really that mindful, present, um, non-judgmental experience. But how it goes beyond that, um, and one of our incredible instructors, our mindfulness instructor, Amanda, does this so beautifully. Um, she is a high school educator in uh, Massachusetts area. Um, and her mindful practices, she just lightly calls to the fact that um, something that she might be experiencing in the classroom at the beginning of the practice saying, hey, this is something that I felt or saw today. And here's what I did to help solve that problem. Here's the practice. And at the end, it's more of that conversation of, all right, well, we have this box breathing strategy, or we have this belly breathing strategy, or this self-compassion practice. Let's see how we can apply that to our day today, or to our week tomorrow, to be really intentional and proactive about how we're taking care of ourselves. So it's not going to be a fire hose of education all the time, but it's that right touch of support and and grounding that we give folks instead. Mindfulness is, I would call it almost a buzzword right now. I mean, you hear it, it a lot. Um, yes. And there's probably like, I, I have a, a few, at least I think I have an understanding of, of mindfulness. I, I meditate mm -hmm. four or five times a week. And, and so awesome. that's, that's something that, that I really enjoy. But I feel like there's probably a lot of people out there that hear the word and have never really practice mindfulness. So mm -hmm. in your opinion, like what is mindfulness outside of fitness instruction? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, John Kabat-Zinn, I will not take credit for this. He has kind of coined um, the definition that we like to use at least. And it is present, um, present moment awareness with non-judgment, which to me makes it feel simpler, less overwhelming. Um, and we actually choose to use the word mindfulness versus meditation, one, because it's secular, and two, because it kind of gives that more relaxed opportunity to be exploratory, to be in tune with yourself. And at the end of the day, that, that's all it really is. It's being able to understand how you are in this moment, as simple as, hey, let's pay attention to the way our foot is feeling it's contact with the ground. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we honestly take for granted all the time, um, myself included. Well, I, I haven't paid attention to my right foot today. Have you? No, not today. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So just bringing those like really small opportunities into folks' lives has um, this grand um, 
opportunity to expand the way that we're actually experiencing life. And, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, as educators, our minds run on 500 different fields where we're thinking about what's happening with the student here, what lessons happening next, what's going on outside, you know, naturally, we have all these different thoughts going on in our minds. And that's what makes us most effective. But if we are doing that all the time, Mm -hmm. it's going to be really difficult for you to actually step into the classroom and have even more of that present moment awareness. And let's not talk about all the things that are happening at home or with COVID. That is, you know, that what that's what brings the added added layers of stress. I want to try to preach about mindfulness a little bit. If, yeah. And if you can help me, because when I first started, in my case, meditation, but when I first started doing that, it was, it took, it took practice. Like, okay, so you go to the gym and they're like exercise and you hop on a bike and everything, you feel it, you know, hours later or the next day, like, you know, that you did that. But with mindfulness, it was kind of the opposite. It was more like almost like drinking caffeine. Like you don't, you don't realize you're doing it, but then you need to continue to do it. Like you, you feel like I really like the way that made me feel. And it was like a slower process. And it wasn't for me until I started doing it. I mean, for a few weeks before I really started to feel the effects. And now it's like, I crave it. Like I I need Mm -hmm. to, to have that time where I spend 20 minutes of just breathing, not looking at my phone, just, you know, focused on my own thoughts, whether I'm focused on kindness or or whatever. Is that, am I trying to articulate that right? Is that the way you feel about it? Oh, absolutely. And I I love, I love hearing the analogy with caffeine. Um, One, because many teachers drink caffeine. If you are not a caffeine drinker and you're a teacher, good job. Good job. I wish I were there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, it's not an easy practice and unlike well, I think it's similar to exercise in that it, your body will respond differently at different times of the month, the week, the year. Like it's never going to be the same. But what what is important, I think, to do is to see if you can get past that that hump. And sometimes that can be really tough for folks to do on their own, which mm-hmm. is why, um, you know, right now we're actually doing a 21 day mindfulness habit kickstart. So we're giving um, folks the opportunity to practice in five or 10 minute spurts every day, Mm -hmm. just to see what it feels like. Um, Because it can be really challenging to to start that practice completely on your own. Um, I felt really privileged. My um, first experience where, I mean, I guess I'm similar to many teachers. I said, hey, I need someone to tell me how to do this. Um, So I actually took John Kabat-Zinn's mindfulness-based stress reduction class um, back in the day. And it was a really amazing opportunity that opened up my eyes to all the different kinds of practices, but doing it as a collective. And that collective experience, I think, is what's so powerful because you have that opportunity to feel it in yourself, notice it with the other people across the screen or the room, and then have a conversation about what that feels like because it it's a tough thing to describe like it's it's not it's not easy to just say i feel present it's a lot more emotional than it is linguistic in a way agreed and and so like help me sell the practice of mindfulness to a teacher that's yeah. never tried it i mean like what how do you think their lives will will be better if if they were to go through those practices and and stick with it for just say a month yeah well um, you feel less 
ruminating thoughts. You have less anxiety. You're feeling happier because you're more grateful and aware of what's happening around you. Um, you have the opportunity to connect deeper with other people, whether or not mm -hmm. they practice, because you're simply there. And as an educator, um, what? 90% of what we really do is relationships and being able to support the people who are in front of us. And so if you feel like you're struggling with that because of some, some stress that might be in your life, or just because teaching is, a, is difficult and relationship building is difficult, this is an incredible practice to go deeper into yourself to kind of fill that cup. We've all heard that term before. Mm -hmm. Fill your cup, put that oxygen mask on so that you can pay better attention to the folks around you. Um, and it's funny. I mean, there, if, if you take a look, if you Google this at all, just benefits of mindfulness, there are going to be a ton of things that pop up. And it is honestly miraculous how many different ways just practicing mindfulness can impact you and support you. But it really is personal. It depends on the things that you're struggling with. And I guarantee the things that you're struggling with can actually, um, not always, but oftentimes can be relieved by that. So for example, this is not necessarily, necessarily something that's been, um, I've read a lot of research on, but just a personal experience. I get very stressed. And when I do, I grind my teeth at night. Mm -hmm. This is not something that you have control over, it seems at night, because you're literally asleep, right? Right. And, um, you know, used to have a lot of jaw tension from that. And I knew I was doing it more when I was stressed out. Um, oftentimes from the classroom. But when I started practicing mindfulness, my jaw softened and I didn't actually have the necessity to grind at night because my body had less physical tension in it. So um, that has been life-changing just um, in, in and of itself for me um, because I can't control what I do at night. <laughs> I, I love that you shared your experience. I, if you don't mind, I'll share one. Like yeah. I, I was... Um... I had a session about uh, empathy and, you know, we're in tough political times and, and I was in a session and it starts off and it's basically telling me how, you know, you need to find some, think of somebody who's going through a difficult time and, and think about mm -hmm. how you can help them. And then it kind of mm -hmm. shifts. It's like, think about someone that maybe you don't agree with, maybe your, your political beliefs mm -hmm. don't align, or you just have trouble getting along with when you're around them. And, and then think mm -hmm. that of the trouble they may be having and, and talk about how they may be suffering. And so, I found myself visualizing a neighbor who I don't always get along with, but then, you know, trying to understand where they were. And, and then just from doing this 20 minute mindfulness session, I felt it just, it changed my perspective on how to think it may maybe love my neighbor a little bit better. I mean, I don't know. Is that, does that sound like something you would get from a mindfulness session? Ab absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're talking about a loving kindness practice, which can be, it can be very tough for people and not mm -hmm. something that I would recommend doing right away. Mm -hmm. Um, cause it's just like less tangible, but, um, I've had folks share that with me as well. Um, you know, I, we all have issues in our relationships and being able to the loving kindness practice starts with thinking about yourself and, and sending support to you, which, can also be difficult for folks. But when we, for me, um, the challenge is when we shift into someone in our own life that we're having specific challenges with. And I, you know, sometimes that person is in the room or in the house with me and it can be really incredible to start just remembering how to have compassion, how to have empathy for them. Because 
Um, if we don't take that time to pause, which we just don't have time often in education, mm-hmm. we don't bring that reflection in and, and our minds have a difficult time changing, not because, uh, we're bad people, but just because we don't have that time and space to step back from it. So, yeah, I think you're talking about something really, really important and, and mindfulness or even just wellness practices overall is the space to reflect, the time to just be. Exactly. Um, well, uh, Gabby, I love what you're doing at Spark by Gabby. And, and so if I understand this right, like a lot of your instructors, are they active teachers or at least used to be? Yeah. So 50% of us are current or former. Um, and we have um, we have SLPs right now. We have middle school teachers. We have an elementary school teacher, high school teacher. We have teachers all across the spectrum, not in higher education. We are pre-K-12. Um, we also have some folks that work in um, the district level of, of education as well. So all, all across the spectrum, which you know, is really powerful for educators to be taught by other educators. And you do no pro- one, professional development as well. Like do you guys actually show up at schools or do that remotely? How's that work? Um, it's been a mix. Um, we do some professional development um, in person and it depends on where schools are located and what the COVID status is, honestly. Um, next year though, we'll be shifting more to um, kind of double down in the mindful fitness component. So we'll both have um, for full schools and, um, as educators will get access to all of what we have to offer both live and on demand. So you'll have live zoom sessions so that you can have that um, uh, live connection. And then on demand, so you could take class at 5am, at 3pm, whatever you want in your classroom, not. Um, we're also going to start going into schools quarterly to create more of that relationship piece and, and facilitate more of a community within schools around what we're doing. Cause the end of the day it is a systemic issue and we cannot do this work alone we have to do it with all levels of each school so that's what's important to us well uh gabby lupin again the uh, website's sparkbygabby.com uh we appreciate you joining us are you ready for our pop quiz <gasps> oh, i'm excited let's do it all right first question if students could only go to school for one subject which subject should it be mm, social emotional learning what are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? More social emotional learning. Right. I had a feeling that that was going to be the case there. What, what does every child deserve? Life opportunities. They deserve the opportunity to be taught by a great teacher, to have great support systems, to have the opportunity to reflect and to play and to, to, to be surrounded by peers, which I mean, in turn causes this ripple effect to move into the spaces that they want. Um, I think our system is still highly inequitable. So, um, you know, a lot of our purpose is thinking about how do we support specific parts of the educational system so that the teachers can stay and thus students will have more opportunities because they'll have better teachers. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Mm. Navigating the complexities outside of teaching. What's the best gift to give an educator? Time. Which teacher changed your life? Mm. Um, my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Needleman. Um, she was... An outstanding, empathetic, curious 
and warm woman and she is she retired right after she taught me and she's still alive today which is wonderful um writing books and still being an inquisitive mind so i'll have to send this to her now that i yes i share this you do you need to because <laughs> nothing's better than that thank you and that was it yeah um and uh last question which book did you read love and want to recommend to our listeners oh um Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking um, the Stress Cycle. It was incredibly powerful to the work that we do um, and just knowledge that I think every person, definitely every educator and specifically every female educator should should have access to and that it helps us realize the things that were built in our system that are working against us and how to release that. Was that book specific to educators? It's um, within uh, stress science, I would say. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So, I, but I mean, so much of education is unfortunately stress. Um, and it was specifically wrote for the female mind, although I think it applies to all people um, and, and that the profession of education has many females and has been kind of built on the backs of females. Oftentimes, um, I think it's an important read. Again, you're listening to uh, Gabby Lupin with SparkByGabby.com. Gabby, thank you for all the great work you're doing uh, with educators out there. And thanks for joining us on Class Dismissed. Of course. I hope to see some more folks join us. We have a 30-day trial that we have access to for any teacher who wants to join. Thank you so much for having me and look forward to hearing from you more. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismiss. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.